Hey everyone, you're listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Horgan. This show brings you advocates from across the country to speak about their experiences and advocacy work that happens beyond the crag. This includes climbing advocates that work on a local scale, policy professionals, athletes, and all others in between that have a deep love for the climbing environment. My aim is to connect more climbers to the work that these advocates do and inspire everyone that no matter how big or small, they have an opportunity to get involved and do their part. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. For nearly 30 years, Access Fund has been the organization that has kept our beloved climbing resources conserved and cared for. From stewardship to influencing climbing policy and educating current and new climbers on the best responsible behavior, Access Fund is on it. As they say, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. The show is also supported by Gnarly Nutrition. We want to thank Gnarly Nutrition for being a supporter of Access Fund and the Climbing Advocate Podcast. Gnarly Nutrition and its employees recognize that it is a privilege to visit and recreate in outdoor spaces. They believe that these spaces should be protected and safe for all to recreate in. Gnarly Nutrition. Want more. Do more. Be more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode 34, a conversation with board president of the Minnesota Climbers Association, Kendra Stritch. I had Kendra come on the show to talk about the Minnesota Climbers Association, or the MCA for short, but we ended up talking about so much more than that. Kendra is a multifaceted person with so many interests and pursuits that go beyond climbing. While she is an incredibly accomplished ice climber, having traveled the world on the UIAA Ice Climbing World Cup Tour, winning a gold medal in speed climbing, she pursues several other activities that require tenacity and most of all, strategy. Strategy is something that Kendra highly values and we dive into that quite a bit in the beginning of our conversation and how she applies it in her pursuits and life. It was, it was really intriguing and interesting and, and fun to talk about. She says that she has taken a lot of inspiration from the folks that she is close with locally in her home state of Minnesota and also the international climbing community and the folks that she has met while traveling around Europe and Asia competing in climbing competitions. This has led her to be incredibly generous and give back as much as she possibly can to the climbing community. She really enjoys teaching clinics and will actually be prioritizing that come this winter when she steps away from her day job a little bit to, to take on clinics uh, more full time. Of course, that generosity also speaks to her dedication to the climbing in Minnesota and her role with MCA. We do get into the MCA quite a bit and what they do to take care of the resources in Minnesota. And believe it or not, Minnesota has a lot of climbing, both rock and ice. The MCA has done so much over the years for the climbing resources in Minnesota, including rebolting, hosting many adopted crag events, and is now putting a lot of focus into trail stewardship not to mention helping run and coordinate efforts at three ice parks around the state. They're doing an incredible job representing the climbers of Minnesota and had a great time discussing Midwestern climbing with Kendra. And it goes to show that the Midwest has a lot to offer and can be a little underrated. It, de- it definitely deserves some more love. So let's get into it. Please enjoy my conversation with Minnesota Climbers Association's board president, Kendra Stritch. Enjoy. 
Well, uh, yeah. How was uh, how was your weekend? You said you were out doing some uh, adventure racing nationals in northern Wisconsin. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you had going on this weekend? Sure. Yeah. Um, adventure racing is map and compass navigation. Um, and during the race, there's always trekking, canoeing, and mountain biking. Mm. So this was nationals competition. We competed over the last year to qualify for this. And it's all three-person co-ed teams at Nationals, and it's a 30-hour cutoff for the race. The winning team this year uh, finished in just under 25 hours. Is it like a certain amount of mileage that you got to do? Well, there's checkpoints all over uh, different legs. You You know, there's different rules in every race on, like, what order you have to do things in. It's a big... Part of the race is choosing your course and understanding all the limitations that they're giving you. So this year, we did not um, collect all the checkpoints, but it wasn't mandatory to be a finisher to get them all. Uh, mm-hmm. Only only four teams, I believe, collected all of them. And so we ended up... Uh, 17th overall in the three-person co-ed nice yeah so we're pretty happy about that and we were out there for like 28 and a half hours i think oh my gosh just just <laughs> going just going like non-stop you... yeah pretty non-stop we we yeah. at about 12 30 a.m uh was a big transition time we were moving from one section of the race to another and we took about an hour and a half there to, we had just come off a paddling section in the dark. So we took mm-hmm. time to get warm. We got some hot food and we took a really good look at our maps and made a plan for the whole rest of the race and made sure that we understood how much time it was going to take us to get back to the finish and that type of stuff. Because yeah you absolutely don't want to go over time because you just start losing points every minute. <laughs> <laughs> so. That sounds, that sounds really cool. Yeah. Awesome. It's really fun. We have a really big community of adventure races and racers in the upper Midwest great lakes area here. Mm-hmm. So we uh, do, I do a lot of that um, over the summer and a little bit in the winter. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah. After after uh, reading up on you a little bit, it's, it sounds like you have a lot of uh, pursuits outside of climbing, which yeah, uh, yeah. I think probably maybe it's a nice balance for you. And I read, yeah, I read that you're into log rolling and orienteering and stuff. Like, what, can you tell me a little bit more about the uh, about the log rolling? Yeah, you know, log rolling is a historical sport here in Minnesota, Wisconsin. The World Championships are held over in Hayward, Wisconsin, every year. And, you know, because we have logging and the rivers, that's how the logs were moved down to the mills. Mm -hmm. And so log rollers were, you know, it was a profession and then became a competition. And uh, so there's actually a world championship team. Um, The women in the family are world champions um, that is now they live now in the Twin Cities from Wisconsin originally, and they were working on growing log rolling as a sport and invented the key log, which is a plastic log that you would roll on. 
that has foam in it and you fill it with water to make it the right weight for log rolling. But when it's empty, it's only 60 pounds. So it's really easy to move around. Uh, Like now all of the YMCA's have them here. Um, Lots of summer camps. It's there's actually a collegiate log rolling series now all because these key logs exist because the wood logs that you roll on, which they still do at the world championships and other competitions weigh like 400 pounds. So you can't, yeah, you can't move them around that type of thing. So we, my, I think my brother Carter originally ran into them on the lakes around the twin cities. And then, found out about the club that had started up and and we went log rolling and it's another really awesome community and just really fun challenge and I have been a competitive athlete since I was about nine I started with slalom ski racing Mm -hmm. and I really love figuring out new sports both the physical aspects of it, how to, you know, be good at that activity. But I also really love the strategy into competing. So I'm a good ice climber, but I have a strength of figuring out how to use my physical abilities to the best in a competition. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and that's part of why I love the adventure racing too, is it's not just about putting your head down and going as fast as you can. You also have to choose the right path, you know, decide not to go get checkpoints when you're running out of time, mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And so even with log rolling and ice climbing, there's strategy to the right. competition. Yeah, I was gonna say that's it's, you're not you're you're inspired beyond just putting your head down and just and just grinding away, you know, and pulling in that uh, that other element or aspect of strategy into the activities you're into. I mean, it's 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 brought you a long way in a competitive sense. Cause I know you're very successful in the competitive world, but I can also see some kind of applicable to life skills just just how to work through things uh very diplomatically just in life i think it'd be possibly a side benefit of that yeah i absolutely think it is and you know it's one of the reasons i like climbing too because climbing is rarely you know head down slogging you know Mm -hmm. long approaches or (laughs) things like that but (laughs) um you're always thinking about how you're going to do this climb, what tools in my toolbox am I going to use to be successful on this climb or mountain and that type of stuff. And the, one of the things that I learned from climbing, especially in the mountains is to be, you know, always analyzing your environment and the situation that you're in and then adjusting your plan as necessary. Mm -hmm. Right. And that has been very applicable to life and business a lot too. And always, you know, making a plan is very important, but then taking in all the information along the way and being able to adjust, I think is really good life lesson that, you know, you can take from business to the mountains or the mountains back into other parts of your life. 
Yeah, hundred percent. It's all about that adaptability. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever read um, Todd Skinner's book. Uh, God, I'm forgetting the name. Beyond the Mountain, maybe. I haven't. It, you haven't. It's it's really good, and he he has all these kinds of lessons that he takes from his climbing career, and he presents them in like a business sense and how to, if you are working with a team in a business, how to apply like the lessons he's learned in the mountains to your business. And it's, it's, yeah, it's a great book. It's uh, nice. all about his adventures and yeah, the applicability to life and stuff. I highly recommend it. Um, well, right on. Yeah. That's uh, I've learned so much about you already. Um, are you originally, are you originally from Minnesota? I am. I grew up in Maple Grove, which is just in the Northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And you're currently in Stillwater. Is that right? I'm currently back in Minneapolis. Yeah, my parents okay. moved to Stillwater and I was out there for a few years when I moved back to Minnesota originally yeah. this last time. Okay. Right and on. Um, I love the name Stillwater. Isn't that the I think that's the name of the band from Almost Almost Famous, I think. <laughs> that movie from like I think it was like the late nineties of Kate Hudson and stuff. I think that's the name of like the the band, like the Led Zeppelin looking band. I don't know. Kind of going off on a tangent. But yeah, that, that's like right on the you're like right on the border of Wisconsin. It's uh, yes. I'm from the Midwest I'm from the Midwest as well, so I've got a pretty good understanding of where you're talking about and everything. I spent a fair amount of time in Minneapolis and stuff. Um, great. Yeah. So where did you move to and then move back from back to Minneapolis? Yeah. Most recently it was uh, Calgary and Canmore, mm, Alberta. Yeah. So I was up there for five years, took a job to be close to that ice climbing Mecca. Yeah. My heart is definitely in those mountains. I love it up there both summer and winter. But came back to the Twin Cities. My family is here. It is really great to be close to them. Yeah. And there is so much easy access to outdoor green spaces and parks and activities here that I keep going away and coming back. We have a great international airport, mm -hmm. great people, lots of work opportunities, that type of stuff. And I, I like the size of the Twin Cities. We're a, about a 4 million person metro area. Mm -hmm. So it's big enough to have a lot of things going on, but not too big that it feels overwhelming. And we have traffic, but not big city <laughs> traffic. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends, uh, two of my best friends lived in Minneapolis the last couple of years, then has since moved back to Colorado and went and visited them for a couple of nights. And yeah, we were like in this nice little neighborhood, quaint, pretty quaint neighborhood. Uh, it was like downtown, but we were riding bikes around and it was just like, it was, uh, it was pretty quiet. I was, I was surprised. It was nice. Yeah. No, it's a really yeah. great city. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say something else about the Twin Cities. Now I'm forgetting. But um, well, how about how about climbing? You know, I uh, wanted to talk about uh, the Min the Minnesota Climbers Association here in a little bit. But what's uh, what's your climbing history a, a bit like? Um, when did that become a more, a more important part of your life? Yeah, I started climbing in grad school. So my school, uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, out in Rochester, New York, had a climbing gym on campus. I was doing my master's, my younger brother was doing his undergrad at the same school and he was already a climber. So I knew about it. He had taken me top roping a few times, never clicked for me because I had ski racing and then rugby. 
but I wasn't eligible to play collegiate rugby anymore because I played my four years Mm. and coaching wasn't as exciting as playing. (laughs) (laughs) So I went to the climbing gym and the people and the activity just clicked at that time. Within a couple months, I did my first climbing competition at the Albany rock climbing gym, which I don't think is around anymore, but it was really awesome. And they had a caving system in the walls of the climbing gym. Wow. It was so cool. <laughs> and so like, so like on the backside, or like the backside of where all the holds are and stuff. Yeah, or, it was enclosed. Like usually empty space. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And he had built it in that way and you had to like fit through this block to like go in there and he had access panels and stuff, but, um, we went in for a little while and I did not do great in the complete <laughs> darkness. Uh, yeah. I turned around at some point and was like, Nope, I'm going back out. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like too cautious. I've seen like videos of people like crawling through little things in actual caves and I'm just like squirming in my seat. It's like, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's for me. Yeah. I'm the same way, <laughs> but that was a, I think that was a top rope like beginners competition that I competed in. I won the beginners (laughs) category and you know, that since I was already a competitive athlete, when I came to climbing, that was my first thought was like, I like this. How do I compete? Because that was how I saw sports and physical activities was, it was just normal to compete. Mm -hmm. And as I got, more into the climbing you know I realized like that's actually a pretty abnormal way that people get brought into climbing it has been historically it's obviously Mm. becoming more popular especially with climbing in the Olympics right and I really love outdoor climbing I love all forms of climbing especially you know now I'm like 13 years in I've come back to some aid climbing. Still oh, a little no. slow for me. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, those are very valuable skills. And I do use a lot of aid climbing skills, you know, outside of like big wall climbing. But yeah. Uh, yeah, but I still love the strategy of competition. And I do a lot of advocating for people to try competition. Like you don't have to do it all the time, but least try it out it's competition climbing is just another form of climbing that is very different has become very different from Mm -hmm. any other thing both in ice climbing competitions and rock climbing competitions we're not mimicking outdoor climbing like it has become its own form and it's really fun it is fun i've competed once at the little local bouldering gym or uh, climbing gym here where i live and yeah it's just it's put on by the college by the university and everyone is just having a great time i was just like yeah you know i don't know i'm just gonna get my butt kicked and i was like okay and then i was like yeah i'll sign up this year it was a blast i had so much fun and, you know it was like we're not like really competing for anything you know there's some prizes and stuff but we're just it's just a bunch of climbers hanging out just like trying really hard and cheering each other on it was freaking awesome <laughs> yeah that's great to hear that you have that experience and yeah. you know, most of the competitions like those open you know beginner friendly competitions are just like a, a big you know 
climbing session where you're all exchanging beta and cheering each other on and that the energy behind that is so awesome Mm -hmm. the energy exactly that's exactly right the energy was very high and uh yeah it's interesting that you did take the the competition kind of right right from right out the gate and um really took to that. I think a lot of people are intimidated by competition and having to perform in front of a lot of other people, but you seem to be very comfortable with that. Yeah, there's still definitely nerves about that. And, you know, once you've had success, you know, after I won my gold medal in speed ice climbing, Mm -hmm. the pressure was way worse after that because now you've had some success. I had the ultimate success, really. Totally. And, you know, that's where mentally it got a lot harder. I think that's actually one of the things that I really like about trying new sports and new competitions Mm -hmm. is that I can walk into a log rolling competition as the new person and it's a lot easier to have realistic expectations (laughs) Yes. So, like I still want to do the best. And sometimes I'm like, maybe I could win the beginner's division here too. And, <laughs> but also when you're like, I've log rolled three times before, it's easier to be like, okay, it was fair that I, you know, didn't do great in the competition because I've really not put much time or effort into training or mm-hmm. learning yet. Yeah. So I think that that's a, a great, um, promotion for trying new things is like hey like this is the easiest time to fail is when it's Just. new you know because you know it's less of a, a blow to the ego or the the <laughs> confidence yes but, 100% yeah i agree and and no one knows you probably get going into those long rolling competitions they don't know you as a as a wildly successful ice climber and competitive ice climber and just yeah you can just let your guard down have some realistic expectations like you said and yeah i think that's a valuable valuable lesson i hope some folks listening to this today, today can take away from it so what yeah i guess we, we went over like how long you've been competing what inspired you to kind of move on uh, i mean i was thinking maybe that you climbed recreationally for a while and then moved into competing but as you just stated you moved right into it um beyond competing um well congratulations real quick uh, on your gold medal i did read that on the on the uh it was at bozeman right it was yeah thank you yeah for sure um and you've now you've uh traveled the world i think on like a world tour uh competing with on ice is that right yeah the uiaa is the governing body for that and those are the same people that do the safety standards for our harnesses and helmets and ropes and all of that yep and uh, there's a World Cup tour. It's been going on since about 2000. There was competitions before that, but I think 2000 was the first year that it was the UIAA World Cup. And each year there's a different set of competitions based on who wants to host. But places that I've been able to travel to are South Korea, China, Romania, Switzerland, Italy, France, I went to Bulgaria. It wasn't for a competition, but it was with their climbing team. And I became friends with them and went there between competitions. Um, The U.S. and Bozeman and Denver 
have hosted in the U.S. here. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, we call it the World Cup family. The athletes are very close. And it's just an amazing opportunity to travel and compete on these really cool structures in, in a format of climbing that's really there's very few places in the world that you can do it outside of the competitions. And that's one of the things that we're really working to change is have more infrastructure for this style of climbing because it's dynamic and fun yeah. and totally unique. It's, it's very three dimensional. It's like very 3d with the features you get to climb and like those, uh, I don't know the technical term. I've, I've climbed three, three days in my life. So forgive my ignorance here, but it's like a, like a wooden pillar kind of thing that you're swinging your tools into. And, um, is that, is there a proper term for that? Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, I'm not sure about the wooden pillar, but yeah, there's, there's like hanging blocks, you know, hanging and sometimes blocks, those yeah. are wood, but also in a lot of places, they're ice blocks that have been okay. formed and then they, they drill holes into them so that a hundred competitors can climb on them mm -hmm. and that type of stuff. And yeah, just three dimension it did start out fully as ice climbing but that's actually gotten too easy because <laughs> on ice you can kind of move anywhere you want to right. and then they introduced red lines and that wasn't really fun for anybody because if your foot accidentally flagged across a red line you were disqualified uh, so that's how it moved to like more dry tooling or mixed climbing sure for yep, yep. The, the lead competition and then Speed is a, you know, 12 meter vertical sprint on ice and it's done on top rope and it's just really fun. It sounds, it does sound very fun. And like the, 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 the mixed and dry tooling, I guess, I mean, the walls are so steep. I feel like they kick back. I mean, once you start getting higher, they really kick back and get really overhung. And um, yeah, it looks like an incredible amount of fitness <laughs> to do these competitions. It look, yeah, it's, it's pretty wild looking. Yeah, totally unique. They get very steep and, and really interesting. You see some of the structures with lots of hanging blocks and you, you almost feel like you can get turned around up there you're like where uh -huh. am i going <laughs> <laughs> totally have you spent any time in your ray it's like just a couple hours from me i have yeah i have competed a couple times at the ice fest competition and then just this last year during covid we um they hosted a mixed climbing competition that i was the head judge for Oh, nice. And we're also hosting the North American Mixed Climbing Championships in URA the first weekend of February in cool. 2022. Right on. Awesome. Well, as you were talking about the, where you've traveled uh, around all around Europe and the people you've gotten to meet, uh, I read that you take you take a lot of motivation and inspiration from the support of the local and this international community as well. And that's kind of what I gathered. I was like, well, you know, you travel the world for for competition and stuff, and I'm sure you meet a lot of different personalities, a lot of different cultures and stuff. Could you could you talk about a little about uh, a little bit about that inspiration that you're drawing? from those communities. I'd love to hear some more about that. Yeah, I really love sharing activities. Well, I mean, just, just meeting people around the world and really 
realizing that while we all have very different circumstances in our countries, the way that they work or, you know, the stand, the ways we live, we are all very much the same as well. And that um, there are not solid definitions of, you know, what's a better way to live (laughs) or a worse way to live type of thing. Obviously there's, um, when, when people are not free to travel or, you know, have restrictions from their countries and things like that, that's harder. We have a lot, the Russians are a huge contingent in the ice climbing world cup. They're super strong. They train a lot and are really great people. And as well as we have competitors from like Iran, uh, China and stuff like that. And dealing with the global politics of trying to get together and have these competitions can get really frustrating too. But even though we have all these different circumstances, everybody is just really psyched, wonderful people who want to get together and climb. And that's a really fun environment and taking inspiration from like my local community or people. It's really, it inspires me a lot when people are like, so awesome that you're out there doing that. It made me go try something or, you know, like when I hear those things, that's, gives me some motivation to keep doing what I'm doing Mm -hmm. because there is some greater good to it. I, I struggle a lot sometimes with like, why should I fly around the world and be able to do these competitions when other people aren't able to, or we're using resources and stuff like that. And, or why are we even climbing at all sometimes you know it's it's a it's a hobby right all of this but um the more the longer i've done it the more i teach clinics i'm really passionate about giving people the tools to be successful on their own for for doing these things and you know it does better people's lives it gives them overall skills or confidence and stuff like that. And, you know, if we we're just going to pick the outdoor activity that the most people could participate in for the least amount of money, it's like hiking and running. <laughs> yeah. Climbing will probably not be it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that hiking and running doesn't excite them. Sure. And, you know, climbing did, you know, there's a lot of people that I've met that say, you know, like, especially now that we have climbing in schools and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, they say, you know, none of the other sports, you know, made me, I wasn't happy to participate in them. They didn't excite me, but then I found climbing and that's the thing that got me active or kept me active or gave me some confidence type of thing. And so that's where I think it's really important to have a variety of activities and opportunities for everybody because different things click with different people. Totally. 
Yeah. Well, I think that your, your, your pa- the passion that you have for giving back with the community into a community through whether it be the Minnesota Climbers Association, which we'll get into here in just a sec, but uh, the clinics and just um, interacting with these folks uh, to get them excited about the sport and themselves. Uh, I think your passion is just, yeah, just coming out loud and clear. So I'm really excited to have you on this morning to uh, dive into that some more. And do you find, uh, do you find opportunities to work in an advocacy kind of angle or anything of that nature in the clinics that you teach? I try to give people a lot of information um, and I do talk about, you know, leave no trace type of things when the opportunity presents. Also, like I don't teach girth hitching trees as an anchoring practice anymore. It's just not good for trees. There are ways of girth hitching that are better than others, but you know, things like that. We use tree protectors, um, that type of stuff. Make sure people know about the MCA and other LCOs, local climbing organizations, know about the access fund, that type of thing. We just had the access fund, uh, national trail team plus the West trail team actually here in Minnesota for a couple weeks. And they were in Wisconsin at Devil's Lake before that. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a lot of, you know, non-climbers stopping by to be like, what are you doing? As we're digging up trails and moving giant rocks. And, yeah. and you know, I still take the opportunity to be like, well, the, these are professional trail builders from the Access Fund and things like that. Just to, you know, so that people know that these organizations and people are out there doing these things. And even though they're not necessarily climbers that we think of as the demographic for the access fund, but they can, you know, maybe they tell other people, maybe they even donate because they think it's cool that we're out there taking care of trails and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, the climbers are out there doing doing the work, and I think that that just puts a very good uh, reputation to our community that uh, we're willing to put in the the sweat equity to get that kind of work done. It's, uh, Absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah, I'm going to deviate for one quick second because I read something very interesting on your website about uh, about you know conservation and being environmentalist and uh, you know appreciating the the outdoor landscape and everything. And this goes well outside of climbing, but. Can you explain more about what being an ASC microplastic sampler <laughs> sample collector is and what that's all about? Sure. Yeah, it's actually not a project that's going on anymore, but um, the Adventure Scientists is a organization out of Bozeman and they link scientists who need data collected with outdoor people that can collect that data. So previously there was a researcher that was doing microplastics research on freshwater bodies in the U.S. and and some in Canada too. And so you could sign up as a person that went out to waterways, like you learned how to take the samples it was not very complicated and then you would mail them to Maine where the researcher was and then she did all of the processing and stuff like that so they were looking to see where microplastics were 
And now it's moved on to looking more at like waste treatment facilities specifically and volumes, I think was the last time I looked at it. But it was really cool to be involved in that and understand what they needed. And we took a bunch of samples from around the upper Midwest and some other places where I traveled. And we did find a few lakes that didn't have any microplastics. So that was great. That's good. Uh, Yeah. Not surprisingly, the lakes around the Twin Cities had a lot of microplastics. Mm -hmm. But um, like I alluded to, they found that a lot of it is coming out of our wastewater treatment. So it's coming from the clothes we're washing and Mm. things like that. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely have heard of adventure scientists. I didn't put two and two together, uh, ASC and being that organization and group. And well, yeah, very cool. Again, uh, I think that speaks to your interest. Yeah, outside of climbing and different passions you pursue and and, and uh, help out with. It's uh, it's fantastic. So, speaking of that and helping out with things, let's jump into the MCA, the Minnesota Climbers Association. I think uh, the Midwest just gets overlooked quite a bit about uh, and on, about the climbing it has or it does not have, and I think it has a lot more than what people think. And I I went to the Boundary Waters last year for my honeymoon, and um, went to or stopped by. Forgive me if I pronounce it incorrectly, but is it Teta Tetaguchi State Park? Tedaguch, yep. Tedaguch, okay, yeah. I stopped by there and on our way out of Ely and driving back down towards uh, Minneapolis and stopped, uh, you know, just went for a hike and I was like, there's a lot of rock above Lake Superior right here. And I was like, there's got to be some climbing here. And as we continued our hike and walked along, I was like, okay, th- there's some bolts, there's some bolts, there's some like anchor bolts. And then I started seeing some climbers and stuff. I'm like, okay, my assumption was correct. But <clears throat> excuse me, can you tell us some more about, uh, about Minnesota climbing and what the state has to offer? Absolutely. Minnesota has a lot of climbing. Um, it's all single pitch. But, I mean, just an hour from the Twin Cities, there's over 500 climbing routes at three different areas. Uh, And that's just around the Twin Cities here. And then, as you talked about, Tedaguch is one of the uh, very popular and also very impressive area. It sounds like you were probably out at Shovel Point. I believe so. That does sound familiar. Yep. And there's also Palisade Head, which is within the same park, but just mm-hmm. a little bit further south. And so Shovel Point, the climbing is a sh- like a sheer drop into Lake Superior. Yeah. So <laughs> Very impressive. <laughs> yeah. And it's really fun. The So it's all top managed. Mostly we have climbed out of kayaks. <laughs> there are a few... Uh, climbs that have some ledges down at the base too but mostly that's top managed climbing palisade head is right on the lake as well but it does have like a scree field under it before it hits the lake and people that place also has a lot more cracks that people do a lot more leading there but also Mm -hmm. top managed one of the really great benefits to Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan area is that we mostly have easy access to the tops of our cliffs. Mm -hmm. We either already live at the top of the cliff or you can just, there's a way to hike or scramble up there. So it's 
one of the best places to be a beginner climber. And ultimately, you never even have to lead at a lot of our climbing areas. Funny enough, the one, I guess, two areas that we have that you can't really just set up top ropes at are both sport climbing areas. <laughs> so um, you never have to do trad leading, but there's a lot of opportunity here for that as well. And there's there's rock climbing up in the boundary waters. There is. There is. It's not um, very established and there can be no fixed anchors. Yeah. Or anything, but there is rock climbing and ice climbing in the boundary waters and in the peripheral areas as well. So we've got some pretty good bouldering around as well. And in southwestern Minnesota, there's a park called Blue Mounds, which is kind of in the middle of the prairie, but it's a quartzite outcropping that you know, was in the river for a really long time. And, um, we have a, a climbing area there as well. So lots of variety and all over the state. Yeah. And not just beyond climbing. There's also a few ice parks as well. Correct. Yeah. I think we are very unique and we are certainly very proud of the fact that we now have three ice parks in the state. We have the Sandstone Ice Park, which is operated by the Minnesota Climbers Association. We have our newest park in Quarry Park in Duluth, which is the Duluth Climbers Coalition has worked for many years and a lot of people to make that happen as a park, as a farming ice. And this coming winter will be the first winter that they're farming ice there. And then we have, yeah, the Winona Ice Park uh, down in southeastern Minnesota is also amazing. And they're continuing to grow that like crazy, adding terrain to it. And it's just so awesome to have such a high volume of ice that's really easily accessible. Yeah, that's great. And that, that suits you well, I, I, I would think. Uh, is Sandstone, uh, I feel like Sandstone was jumping out to me as being maybe one of the most established one or most popular one. Um, is that is that a safe assumption? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's been operating as a, a farmed ice park for over a decade and oh, wow. there's been yeah. different levels of farming. I mean, originally it was a little bit unofficial, but we got permission. There's a pond that's on top of the cliff. There's natural ice there. There's a pond that feeds some of that ice, got permission from the city to use the fire hydrant from the neighborhood that's nearby to flood that pond to make that ice thicker. Mm -hmm. And it just went from there. Climbers built a really great relationship with the city. They saw benefit in, you know, having more climbers there. And so now we have permanent infrastructure, a pump house. They, you know, they, they dug uh, a new water hydrant for us. And so we have a lot more infrastructure there. 
and yeah, it's definitely the most established and the oldest ice park that we have. Yeah. How far is that from you? About an hour, hour 15. So yeah, definitely is great. And then Winona is about two hours south from the Twin Cities and Duluth is about two hours north. So we also have natural ice right in the city. The Mississippi River runs right through Minneapolis-St. Paul. We have some pretty good-sized cliffs and there are some natural ice climbs as well as like runoff ice climbs that we climb when it's cold enough. And then there are also natural ice climbs sprinkled throughout uh, river bluffs and stuff. And there's a concentration up by Grand Marais, which is maybe where you were close to as well in the Boundary Waters. Right on. Well, <laughs> Minnesota is definitely uh, rising to be the top of my list to go check out at some point. I feel <laughs> obligated to go check out some more uh, Midwestern climbing, particularly in Illinois, where I'm from, and, and we get down get down to Southern Illinois one of these days. And Devil's Lake, of course, this was like a couple hours from my house where I grew up. So definitely uh, on the list to go check out at some point. <clears throat> yeah, we definitely consider those you know places Minnesotans go a lot to. Devil's Lake is only like three hours from the Twin Cities. That's great. When I was early on, when I moved back to Minnesota after grad school, I did a three-day weekend trip to Holy Boulders and Jackson Mm -hmm. Falls in Southern Illinois. Totally. It's like 14 hours from the Twin Cities. (laughs) (laughs) I will never do that again. (laughs) Yeah, it's a hell of a drive. (laughs) Oh, man. It was great climbing, though. Holy Boulders was awesome. Yeah, totally. I've heard amazing things about those boulders. How long have you been a part of the Minnesota Climbers Association? I've been the president now for two years. Okay. We're working on three. And yeah, and before I moved to Canada, I had been uh, a member of and a a participant active participant with the MCA. I was back in like 2007 to 2010. Uh, I helped organize a lot of the access fund Craig cleanups mm -hmm. at that time. And there was one year we did like nine Craig cleanups. We were doing that a lot. Really loved the support from the access fund. And we've dropped off a little bit on that because our parks are actually in really great shape and our park um, system is pretty clean. There's a few areas that we go pick up trash a lot, but we are doing, starting to do a lot more trail work now and getting into that. Mm -hmm. But like the garbage cleanup just isn't needed as much as it used to be, which is great. Of course. But it's harder to, you know, if you get a lot of people out for the day, you know, we don't, we haven't had a much to do. So now we're working on some of the bigger projects. Cool. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, good work on that. That's definitely a, not a good problem to have per se. Uh, but yeah, trash is gone. Let's, let's pivot uh, towards the trail. So I'm, so I'm sure more people are getting out and maybe having a larger impact on the infrastructure and the approaches and things to get to the crags. Yes, absolutely. We have a lot of climbing gyms in the Twin Cities and Mm -hmm. more and more in peripheral areas as well. And so just like everywhere else, we have this huge boom of people 
finding out about climbing, trying it out. And, and like you said, you, you know, using the trails and all of the resources and we're not in a bad position. We don't have any areas that have been completely destroyed. And so it's nice to be getting kind of ahead on some of the, the trail work and infrastructure here. And we want to keep doing that so that we can preserve, you know, all the trees that are along our trails and, you know, make sure that we don't destroy the areas that we love to climb in. Yeah, of course. We've been a part of the MCA for quite a while. You said you were working on some stuff back in like 2006, 2007 time. Um, do you know what the impetus was for forming the organization? Was there one, was there like an access issue? Was there one like specific thing like, hey, we need a rally to fix this? Or was it just came time like, hey, guys, let's, let's get the climbers together to start working on projects such as the uh, crack cleanups and things like that? Yeah, the main rally was rebolting. Mm, okay. There was back in the the late '90s, there was um, a lot of climbs that had been bolted and needed to be rebolted, and so the MCA got formed as a way to kind of coordinate that, be able to take donations for the the bolts, be able to purchase bulk bolts um type of thing and it wasn't quite as easy it is as it is with the internet <laughs> these days to just <laughs> order everything right and so yeah that's it got incorporated as a nonprofit um in 2001 officially and you know just like every organization has gone through lots of waves of participation in different things. And then we did have a, a big rallying point. I believe it was about 2010 for we had sandstone where the ice park is. There's property actually just across the river from the ice park that was private and had some boulders on it and people were climbing there. And it, we got the opportunity to purchase that land from the owner. So the access fund helped us do that. Mm -hmm. And we raised a whole bunch of money. The access fund uh, gave us a grant as well. And I was not intimately involved in this process, but we purchased that land and then gifted it to Banning State Park, which is nearby. And now okay. the state park manages that bouldering part of the park we have access to it and you know it was exciting to be able to keep make sure that we'll have access to that land and our community not surprisingly to me or other people in the, here but you know everybody just stepped up right away and rallied and the money that I think it was Thirty or forty thousand dollars. It got raised very quickly, actually, because people are like, "Yes, we're in." So yeah. it's very exciting. Our community does that when we have something to rally around. Everybody steps up. Yep, steps up, does their part. Yeah, sounds like a very, very strong community. And being in a metropolitan area, I'm sure there's yeah thousands, 
probably yeah, several thousands of climbers around the area that can all, all contribute. Yeah, it's one of the things that we, we've been working on. We don't currently have a, like a strict official membership. Sure. You know, it's more of a donation type of thing. And we are going to be moving towards a, a, like a lifetime membership so that people oh, cool. feel engaged and that type of stuff. But since we don't have that, we don't have a great count. But we had not the MCA, but like our community has a Facebook group that before Facebook was a, a forum, a private forum that some of the climbers were hosting online, mm. everything, and then it moved to Facebook. But that group has over 5,000 members nice. to it. That's so awesome. we're not a small climbing community here in Minnesota. There are a lot of people. There's a lot of access. And, you know, we get overlooked, <laughs> but it's a really great place. And with the ice parks, too, we have, since it's such easy access to our ice parks, we have people that fly in from San Francisco. There's multiple direct flights a day. They can fly in here, drive an hour, easy, you know, hotels and rental cars and everything. And then you can get thousands of feet of ice climbing in in a weekend yep. for training for going other places or doing big climbs yeah awesome yeah minnesota the training training ground of sorts <laughs> <laughs> uh are there any particular challenges or opportunities um, representing uh, for the mca uh, representing climbers on a statewide level you did mention that there is a group in duluth um there are maybe some smaller chapters around the state, but being the Minnesota Climbers Association, any particular challenges or opportunities on that state uh, state level? Yeah, the challenge is is that it is a large geographic area, and keeping people engaged or getting people engaged from the whole state is hard, and also because we do have a central metropolitan area. You know, there is some concern sometimes that the MCA is a Twin Cities mm. organization. Yeah. And yes, our population center is in the Twin Cities, but most of our climbing areas or all of our climbing areas are outside of the Twin Cities. So, um, but valid concerns, it's things we talk about and make sure that we are trying to represent the whole state, get input from our members throughout the state. The benefit to having an LCO that's focused at the state level is that we've been able to develop a really good relationship with the DNR at the state level. And so since we're a state organization as well, they're very happy to have one group that they can be communicating with and mm -hmm. recognizing as the climbing stewards and the, the climbing group. And we have had some really great success just recently and hopefully culminating here with uh, official recognition for the state parks for fixed anchors, which are technically not permitted, but... Um, oh, really? Yeah. Uh, there, uh, the shovel point, those giant bolts that you did see, 
Those things are huge. Those were put in by the state. Yeah, somebody showed them a bolt hanger, and I'm not sure if they didn't understand the scale, <laughs> or yeah. they they obviously just want. They had an engineer that was like, "Well, we want them to be X strong, yeah. so they need to be this big." But <laughs> so those are put in by the park for top management to conserve the trees. That specific area had a lot of erosion at the cliff edge and we were losing trees. And so to stop stressing the trees with the anchoring, they put in those permanent ones, but there are um, bolts and things from, you know, like the nineties that weren't really permitted at Palisade head, but it was, pre you know organization of things Mm -hmm. and pre the park knowing really about climbing and that type of thing that we do want to get updated and that type of stuff so we're working closely with the dnr to get that written into a plan so that we don't just get access this one time but that you know in the future we can make sure that we have permission to make sure things are as safe as they can be in our sport. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine uh, working with state land managers or, or something maybe smaller, like a city levels, probably the, the, the land manager that you're probably working with the most as a pair, as opposed to like a federal land manager. I'm not sure how much, you know, forest service land there might be in Minnesota, but my guess would probably be mostly collaborating with state and local officials. Yeah, most of our climbing is state or city. Mm-hmm. The national park has a little bit of climbing in it. It's very clear cut that we're not allowed to have any fixed acres um, wow. there. Yeah, that's there's some um, climbing in Voyagers. It's actually out on an island. And um, I do think there's a couple very, there's some pitons out there and maybe a really, really old hand-drilled bolt as well. <laughs> but they actually, yeah, they, they, it's very clear in their documentation that we cannot go put fixed anchors out there. But it's mm-hmm. okay. It's a small area. I mean, you can access the top. You can top rope things. There's a few climbs that are leadable on removable protection and things like that. So, but yeah, it's really great to be able to develop the relationships with the, the state uh, representatives and Mm -hmm. several of our other LCOs, like the outdoor coalition in Winona, that's running the ice park down there. And they, there's rock climbing in Winona as well at Sugarloaf and the Duluth climbers coalition it's really great to have those organizations that can focus on things that need to be done in, in just their small area. And yeah. we offer as much support as they would like and try to stay in touch with those people. We want everybody to feel like the MCA is supporting their community and their needs. So I'm always just promoting, you know, let us know what you need. Please talk to us. Cause that's really the, 
biggest hindrance that can sometimes happen is just that we don't know that somebody needs help or support. Are they reaching out to you with uh, very specific questions, um, the best practices? Is there, is there something consistent uh, with their questions that they might have for you or how you might support them? Not really. I guess the overarching general would be like, how do we talk to our city mm-hmm. <laughs> about this? Or how do we convince them that this is a normal thing? And yeah. I think that's actually where the access fund has really come in is having a national organization that we can reference and say, Hey, this is happening all over the country. You know, Minnesota climbing in Minnesota is not, or rebolting in Minnesota is not this like unique experience we need to invent things for. Mm -hmm. Like there's other parks of all different types that are, have done and are doing these same things. Yep. Yeah, I mean, that's one big thing that I've learned from doing this show for almost three years now is these issues are essentially, yeah, ubiquitous across the country. Like, yeah, there's some nuancy things that an LCO might deal with that another one might might not. But dealing with land managers, having a, a strong rebolting program, things of those nature, I mean, those those are yeah, needs that need to be met across the country. And the, the access fund, of course, is a, a wonderful, perfect reference for darn near <laughs> everything that you need to learn from yeah. <laughs> or learn about. Um, do you do you collaborate with any other of the LCOs, maybe like in Wisconsin or, or Michigan? Is there any kind of cross-boundary, cross-state boundary collaboration at all? Yeah, absolutely with the Wisconsin Climbers Group. And um, we work closely with them on a few things. And there's actually several climbing areas right in Wisconsin, right on the Minnesota border that really are Minnesota (laughs) climbing areas. (laughs) Um, So like Willow River is in Hudson, just outside Hudson, Wisconsin. And we do all the rebolting there. Uh, It's less than you know it's half an hour from minneapolis and Mm -hmm. it's a lot of minnesota climbers so we take care of that area the wisconsin climbing association also has some relationship with the land manager there but we've been doing that for a long time and so we just try to work together and we do the maintenance there um but and then we also donated uh money to the the Cooley climbers region so down in lacrosse there's a bluff called granddad's that they there's been climbing there for a very long time the city is finally recognizing it as official climbing and everything and so the climbing association that had been working on that they needed some money to put up signs that the city was requiring and stuff and so we donated to that. Uh, again, a lot of Minnesotans go climbing there and we wanted to help support that organization. Gotcha. Probably everyone from around, around the Midwest, all the LCOs uh, gathered at the Midwest Climbing Advocacy Summit a couple of years ago, hosted by the Access Funds, one of their regional uh, advocacy summits. And you mentioned that you were not able to attend that, but 
there was several representatives from the MCA that attended that event. And I was wondering if you had any insights into what they might have taken away from that event and collaborating and discussing issues, topics, all kinds of great stuff with other Midwestern LCOs. Can you, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, our group came back really excited from that summit. And a lot of what they shared was the the confidence building and excitement that getting to hear other people's uh, other LCOs experiences and ask, you know, we asked some questions about this is what we're dealing with. What have other people done and getting that information was energizing because then we could have a plan of attack and also hearing other people's struggles that you know were maybe the same as some of our struggles uh, made us be like okay other people are struggling with this too we're not alone you know we've had some successes or you know maybe we were able to share some things that we've been able to do that other people were struggling with. And so everybody came back really energized. And I think that the access fund hosting these type of summits really helps share information and keep energy up in doing some of this work that can be really, really tedious and take years and decades with some of these parks. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, nothing that really happens overnight. And have you attended, have you personally attended any other of the um, Access Funds summits, annual summits? So I haven't been able to in person, but since everything has kind of moved online over the last year and a half, that has been really great. And I have attended like the regional calls, which was kind of Texas to Ohio to Minnesota type of area. And that having those calls and discussions have been really great. And I really hope we continue that. I've talked with uh, some of the people from the Access Fund and just being able to do it online more often is really great. I really want to get together with people when we can but also having the the check-ins where we don't have to travel and that type of stuff is really good. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, I definitely recommend um, attending one when uh, when you're able to and when we're all able to, for that matter. Uh, there's just so much to learn, the workshops, the networking. I'm, I'm a very introverted person, believe it or not. So when I go, I'm kind of like just kind of by myself, but I do my best to, to interact with as many folks as I can. And um, especially at the dinners, when they, do, when they do like the formal dinner on the second or yeah, on one of the nights. Um, yeah, just getting to sit around and break bread with folks is just an wonderful opportunity to connect and chat and check all things climbing and that things that mean aren't climbing it's uh they're wonderful events i can't recommend it enough that's awesome can you highlight uh, i want to start maybe uh putting a bow on this but before we wrap up i want to hear a little bit more about the mca's uh, projects or successes are there can you pick one or two um, that you can highlight that you're particularly proud of that you've accomplished over the years yeah i think we've mostly hit on them 
but the ice park and how that has progressed and the increase in infrastructure and we're still continuing that we're putting in more anchoring systems we're farming more ice we're better at farming the ice we've added tools to make sure that we can you know farm throughout the winter more it's such a wonderful community resource we also host the sandstone ice climbing festival which is the beginning of january every year which is another great resource we have lower cost clinics that are provided and just gets everybody to come out and try ice climbing the sandstone bouldering that we purchased uh, with help from the access fund and gave to the park was a huge success and uh, we're always looking for another one of those opportunities if it is needed and you know i think our big push now which i'm really excited to have some momentum on is the the trail building we just did trail building in winona and in red wing at our climbing areas and continuing with a push forward on trail building and rebolting we have a lot of people in our community that are really excited to continue these projects and learn the skills and so that's our big push right now is to increase the number of our people in our community that have the skills to do the trail building and also the rebolting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, uh, is it, is it the access fund team that was kind of training and teaching the folks and how to do this stuff for the future when they're not around making that more of a sustainable thing moving forward? Or do you have uh, some other folks that might be teaching these skills? We were really psyched that in devil's Lake, about a month ago now, the national trail team did a clinic, a three-day trail building clinic with people from the Wisconsin Climbers Association and the MCA and from the Winona group. Um, we all went there for three days and it was just a clinic. We did a small project. We built some stairs. We built a retaining wall to improve an area but mostly to teach us those skills Mm -hmm. and lauren and kyle were awesome it was really great and then the west team got displaced because of wildfires in tahoe and so we were really fortunate to have them head out this way as well and they're very experienced trail builders and so people that worked at that devil's lake clinic also came to the Winona and Red Wing projects and got to continue their learning. And those teams really did a great job. Even newer volunteers that were interested, they were explaining and teaching the whole time that we were doing the projects. And so it was really wonderful. And that was our big goal for that was to get some people with the skills to start some more projects and i think we're going to make some mistakes along the way but (laughs) (laughs) yeah we'll uh try it out and um hopefully be able to build some more stone infrastructure yeah 
Awesome. Do you have uh, a, a, some dedicated folks on the on your board of directors that have particular knowledge um, about this, these these kind of stewardship projects? Do you have a couple of folks that might hone in on the, on these kind of things? Well, I'm one of the people that did the like went to the clinic and everything, so I'm mm. really excited about that. And then I helped with the project in Red Wing as well, so I'm going to be heading up some of that. It was really exciting. I am actually uh, reducing my hours for my engineering job. Mm. And so this winter, I'm going to be mostly just teaching ice climbing full time. And then next summer, also doing outdoor education type stuff. So I'm actually looking forward to maybe having some more time to be able to uh, organize some groups to do more of these trail projects and things like that. Oh, that's great. Who are you teaching? Uh, who are you teaching through is for a guide service or? Uh, Big River Climbing Guides is out of Wisconsin and they're the main ones that I'm partnering with uh, for the climbing education and everything. And I'm, I'm also going to um, be doing some navigation teaching and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah. And any, then any, I, any log rolling training? <laughs> uh, not officially, um, yeah. <laughs> but I definitely hope to get out there more. But um, yeah, for sure. yeah, the um, going to be teaching at as many ice fests as I can. So I'm excited about that. I'm hoping that the COVID situation doesn't get worse so that we have to cancel things again this year. But I'm excited to be heading up to the Valdez Ice Fest in Alaska for the first time. I've never been up there. so Awesome. I was just yeah. in Alaska about a month ago, and it's, it is otherworldly. It's amazing. <laughs> well, final question. I asked everyone this question at the end of the show. What is your definition of advocacy? My definition of advocacy is two-part. I think a very key part is being willing and able to talk to people about the thing you're advocating for and that it's really key to be able to bring that up and talk with people about it because that's the, the first way of you know getting people introduced to things. And then the second part is I think putting you know, sweat equity into the thing that you're advocating for. So, you know, donating the time and money is great too, but I really like to get people engaged and you, you learn even more about yourself and things when you um, go and work hard for something, whether it's, you know, trying to change policy at a government level or going and moving boulders and digging rocks into trails. Yep. Yeah. Advocacy can come in so many ways, shapes and forms. And I'm, I'm glad you're on our team, Kendra. It was, uh, it was wonderful to speak with you this morning. And I love speaking with folks from, from 
perhaps some unsuspecting areas where, where climbing actually exists, particularly in the Midwest, being a Midwesterner myself. So uh, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing what else the uh, MCA can get done in the future. Great. Thanks for having me. It's been a fun conversation. All right. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I, I really hope you all enjoy this show as much as I enjoy making it. It's a lot of fun putting this together each month for you all to tune in and listen to. So thanks so much for listening. Before you depart, I want to run a few things by you. I started the show to bolster the efforts that these advocates do year after year, and of course, to support the mission of Access Fund. So I'd like to ask you to either donate or better yet, become a member of Access Fund. Your support and membership goes a long way to help them with their mission of conserving, stewarding, and advocating for climbing. There are varying levels that you begin, that you can become a member at, but you can get started for as low as 20 bucks a year, and after that, you can reap all kinds of awesome benefits with first getting a free t-shirt and getting amazing discounts on some of the best climbing products out there. It's all listed on Access Fund's website, accessfund.org, so check it out. If you're a rock climber, please consider becoming a member of Access Fund. Second, if you want to do me a huge solid, please subscribe to the show and leave a glowing review and comment on Apple Podcasts. After that, jump on those social media channels and share it with your friends. It goes a long, long way, and I'd greatly appreciate if you helped me out with that one. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate it, and I'll catch you all next time.